testing. There we go. Okay, we're going to bring this time to a close. One thing I failed to uh, remember, thanks to uh, Mr. Carey, keeps me on track here. We have one graduate that we know of this year. He, he's a special guy. He just graduated from high school. We love him very much. And I'd like to call Zach Gibbons to come on up. Would you come on up, Zach? I'd like to present you with a Bible. This is what we do for all of our graduates. Okay, now let's pose for the picture. Okay, there's no one with a camera. That's okay. All right. All right, thank you. We'll just pretend. Um, let's pray over Zach as he uh, looks at colleges going to East Stroudsburg. Is that right? Yeah, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for Zach. And uh, Lord, I thank you for his heart for you. Lord, he has a heart for you. And God, I pray that you would keep him after your heart, a man like David after your heart all the days of his life. I pray that when he goes to college, Lord, that you would keep him in the shelter, under the shelter of the wing of the Most High God, we pray. Lord, I pray that he would see you clearly. I pray that as he goes in and, and talks to people who don't believe, as he sits under professors who have no fear of God, I pray that the Holy Spirit's witness in him would be so mighty and so strong. We ask you that you would give him wisdom as he seeks out what to do with his life. We pray that you would make the path clear and straight, we pray. We thank you for Zach, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you, man. I love you. I'm going to speak to you this morning about an unexpected inter intervention, an unexpected intervention. If you want to open your Bibles, please, we're going to finish up Mark chapter 6 today. Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark chapter 6. The way that the Lord works is He invades our lives when we don't expect it. Oftentimes we have, we have come to a place in our life where we have, we have seen the, uh, the, the normalcy of everyday life, the continuing rising and going to bed, the continuing uh, schedule of life. We just kind of learn to accept that. And sometimes in our minds and in our, in our lives, we just begin to think if we're not careful, uh, that, that these things in our life are, are really all that there is. We know if we're believers that that's not the case. But sometimes we forget that God is, has life in himself, he has power in himself, that he actually doesn't need us, he loves us, but he's not dependent upon us for his life. We're dependent, we're contingent upon him for our life. And that God has the power when we least expect it. God has the power and he has the authority to come into our lives, to intervene in our lives when we most need it and oftentimes when we're not looking for it. And this is what we so desperately need. We need the intervention of God in our lives. 
And we, we need his intervention when he comes and he initially saves us. But oftentimes, even in the Christian walk, we're just kind of going through the routine, just going through the different steps of life. And all of a sudden, God in his beauty, Christ, intervenes supernaturally into our life. And we say, oh, God, you're so good. Thank you, Lord, for reawakening my mind and my heart to the fact that, God, I know you were there. I was praying. It's not that we put you on the back shelf necessarily. But, God, when I least expected it, Lord, when I had been looking and, and I thought you were going to show up in, in this way and you didn't show up in that way, but, but God, when I didn't expect it, Lord, you, you came in and you moved in a powerful way because you had been watching the whole time. Lord, you care about us. Even when it seems like things aren't going right, Lord, you still are watching. You're still looking. Lord, even in the times where it just seems like things are kind of almost going on by, the, by themselves in, in their own capacity. And if there's anything we need today, it's for the Lord uh, to come and to intervene in our land, to move. We're tired. We're not supposed to be like the prophets of Baal, dancing around the altar to a God who doesn't even exist. And we wear ourselves out, and we wear ourselves out, calling on to a God, oh God, oh God, oh God. The problem is no one's even calling out anymore. Part of the problem is we've just gotten away from the fact that if we cry out to God, he, he often comes in the times when we don't expect, but we need to cry out to him. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, rekindle our hearts. Reposition our hearts to you so that we begin to look for you again. Lord, help us to stop looking to simple man-made solutions. God, we're so tired of that. We're going to wear ourselves out if you don't intervene. Lord, you need to intervene in our nation. How, how, how is it possible that a young man goes into a church and kills nine people? The, the, the demonic influence, the heart that is uh, desperately Sick, as Jeremiah says. How, how is it that a, a person goes into a, a prayer meeting, a Bible study, and guns down the pastor, and guns down people who are, who are praying? And the motivation for this is the hatred of black people. What a scourge on our land. What a scourge. How sad. How sick. And before we begin to point the finger at other people and begin to say, how could they do such a thing? Have you ever looked at your own heart? We say, well, there's the good guys in life, and then there's the bad guys in life. There's the good women in life and the bad women in life. The good children in life and the bad children in life. Didn't we just learn on, on Friday night, there is no such thing. The 
but it's the sickness that's in all of us. And only by the intervention of God, by his common grace in the world, does he restrain sin. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we would have it much worse. This place would be a zoo. The despicable nature of our human heart, we'd come out and we'd find that we're all cannibals without the grace of God. And so we, we, we have God overseeing and superintending with his common grace, but he also intervenes into our life with a special supernatural grace where he opens up our hearts as believers to believe the things of the gospel. And I, I don't know about you, but our hearts as we're watching these things, number one, should grieve. We should grieve. And there's a time for sorrow. There's a time for that. There's a time... I think where we just come before the Lord and we just sit down on the ground and we dump ashes on ourselves and we rip our clothes and we say, Lord, we, we don't know what's going on. And if we're not careful, we begin to blame God. Well, God, if you, God, if you, God, if you would do this, God, if you would do this. And God comes to us in his wisdom and says, you're the one who accuses me. Job, put your finger down. Stop wagging it at the Almighty. What this should cause us to do is to call out to God for an intervention in our world. It should not embitter us against God. Listen. Can you imagine if there were no God? Then evil doesn't even make sense. We can't even say that evil is evil. We can't even give it an objective definition. Who are we to say what a person does is wrong? Even the worst things. But because there's a God, a God that we all know in this room exists, if we will humble ourselves and we'll say, Lord, we're tired of blaming each other and Lord, we're tired of blaming you. Lord, will you come? Lord, we're crying out to you to, to do something profound in, in our lives. And this is, this is what we see in Mark chapter six is Jesus intervening into a time and into a moment when people least expect it if you would turn with me to Mark chapter 6, we'll pick up where we left off last week in verse 52. Jesus has done this unbelievable miracle as he walks on the Sea of Galilee. That is amazing. And then as soon as he gets into the boat... The Bible says uh, that the disciples in, in John, the, the scripture says that the disciples were glad he was with them. They were glad to see him. But they hadn't understood. The Bible says there in verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. 
you can have the intervention of God. You can see him do the miraculous and still not fully understand who he is. You can welcome him. You can say, Jesus, we want you to do this. We believe in you and still not really know him. Still not really understand him. They'd been fighting against the wind. They had been fighting against the waves. Finally, when Jesus gets in the boat, they're astonished at what had happened. And Matthew chapter 14 tells us that they have the right response and they admit that he is the son of God and they begin to worship him. Their hearts, while at that point not fully understanding who he was quite yet, they were beginning to see this man is the Son of God. It's interesting at the beginning of Christ's life, the wise men who come, even as a baby, the scripture tells us that they worshiped him. Worship is uh, reserved only for God. We're not allowed to worship anyone else or anything else. We're not allowed to worship little golden idols, and we're not allowed to worship sports. We're not allowed to worship um, our job. We're not allowed to worship um, anything in our life other than God. And yet Jesus in the scriptures over and over again receives worship. It's interesting. He never says, wait a second, don't, don't worship me. Don't, don't worship me. Worship, worship God. That's not what he says. In fact, in the scripture, he allows it. What kind of teacher would allow that? Well, a teacher who either is crazy or is, uh, doesn't realize who he is, is a false teacher, or he's a teacher who really is who he says he is, and that is he is God in the flesh. And this is why the Bible uh, very clearly tells us that Jesus is not just a prophet, and he's not just a good moral teacher, but that he's actually God, and this is why we, why we worship him. There was a depiction in the early days of the church by those who did not believe in Rome, in the empire of Rome. And they had a picture, they, they had drawn, they found in archaeology, they found this in a, in a dig, they found a, a picture that someone had drawn of a donkey's head on a cross. And then underneath this, this obscene drawing, they were making fun of Christ even then. They showed a, a person kneeling before it and they said, the Christian worships his God. The Christian worships his God. From the early days, from the earliest of days, this is not a doctrine that all of a sudden people picked up 300 years later and thought, you know, let's make up a good doctrine that Jesus is God. From the earliest time to the very ministry of Christ himself, people with eyes to see and ears to hear recognized who this was. And they're astonished, and the Bible says that their boat was, a, uh, it doesn't use this word, but it's, it's the proper word, it was teleported. He gets into the boat, John 6 says that this boat that had been out at sea, it says they were immediately at their destination. So he not only walks on the water, and that's an amazing miracle, not only does he call Peter out, as we saw to himself, and Peter comes out and 
and then begins to, to sink into the, into the water. But as soon as they get into the, as soon as he gets into the boat, that boat is immediately there. That's amazing. That is a, that's a miracle. And so they arrive safely ashore. The Bible promises us again and again that when we're in the boat with Jesus, listen, we will always find our destination. We'll always arrive. This is not a promise to say, well, that means that in this life, we're going to have so many years and just keep getting healed and, and more healings, and then finally we die at a good old ripe age. No, that's not the promise of, of Scripture. But the promise of Scripture is this, that when Jesus is with us in our boat, when he's not just out there, he's not just out on the outside, but he's with us, he's fellowshipping with us. He knows us and we know him and we have a, a right relationship with him. That even when this, when this life passes, our life is, is not over and we arrive safely, if we're a believer, we arrive safely to shore. That's, that's the hope, that's the promise of scripture. And there are many people who don't believe that, but it's, it's true. And if you know Jesus Christ this morning, it's true. It's not just a nice little, a little story. I was with a family this past week. A, a, a girl my age, 1976, 38 years old, died. And I was in the hospital, and, and, and right before they finally had to take her off the machine, and she, she passed away. We're doing the funeral this, this Wednesday. Right before she passed away, all sorts of people were in the room, family, probably 20 people packed into this room, committing her to the Lord. And we pray that the gospel that she heard, that was preached into her ears, was, was received. We believe that the life that we have here, even though it ceases to exist in a physical form with our bodies that are stained with sin, that it continues to go on. I just, I just feel led to say this this morning. You might be uh, sitting here and you might be 70 years old or 60 years old. You might be 20. You might be 10. Do you know Jesus? That's the question. If you were to die tonight and, 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 and that was the end of your life here. We know that in the future, believers are going to be physically raised from the dead. We talked about that. But if you died tonight, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, are you certain? Not are you hoping, not are you wishing. Do you know how many people say things like, well, I hope, I wish, I think, I think, I think I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. I mean, you know, I, I, I really believe he'll, he'll let me in the pearly gates. You know, I'll, I'll get up there and crack open a six-pack with Peter and maybe he'll let me in. Do you know? Do you know? That's the question. So the scripture tells us here that they, uh, verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. By the way, this is a, a fertile land. Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us what a fertile place this was. They could grow all sorts of stuff here, walnuts and um, 
I remember for a while just wanting to have some good walnut ice cream. Anyway, that's a, that's a, that's a little different. Walnuts and olives and figs and all sorts of things they could grow here. They are crossing now over to the northwest side of, of the lake. They arrive safely to shore. What a night! Isn't, this is an incredible night. Jesus says, listen, boys, I want you to go down and get in the boat. I'll catch up with you later. Uh, how, Lord, how, how are you going to catch up with us? Well, they perhaps weren't even thinking about that. Jesus is thinking, I'll just, I'll just walk out on the water to them. He goes up. He begins to pray. They're having all sorts of, of problems. He sees them because he's God. He sees everything. He sees them struggling. He meets with them. He comes out onto the lake, walking on water. He gets in the boat. They're glad to see them, and instantly they're there. What a night. That's, pretty, that's a pretty cool night. I'd remember that night for a long time. And, and they would remember it for a long time. That's how it got into the Bible, and we're still enjoying it now 2,000 years later. Safe. Oh, bring us there safely. Lord, through the thick and the thin of life, Lord, all we ask you is that you bring us home safely. God, bring my kids home safely. Bring my family home safely. Oh, Lord, I'm so weak. Bring me home safely. Lord, we're in this little vessel tossed about in the waves and, and the boat. It's nothing before you. This thing could splinter into a million pieces. Lord, bring me home safely. Is that the cry of your heart today? Lord, you know me. You search all things. You, you, God, you search in your mind. You're searching even the very deep things of God. You search even my heart. You know, God, I can't even get to the, I can't even get to the bottom. I can't even get to the bottom of my heart. But Lord, one thing I ask, you bring me home safely. I remember as we were coming down, there's this trip with Crystal and I as we were coming down uh, from, from uh, uh, California, our flight. I've shared this with some of you. But our flight from Charlotte to uh, Philadelphia, as they put us into a holding pattern, we're kind of wondering what's going on. And all the people are kind of looking around. And all the people seem, you know, like everything's fine. All of a sudden putting their newspapers down, iPads down. What's going on here? And all I'm praying in my heart, Lord, is land this bird. <laughs> now, for a veteran flyer, like, like, this is nothing. For me, for me, it's a little something. Land it, Lord. Bring me safely home. And that, that's what's happening here. They're, they finally get there. This verse in the, in the passage of Scripture in Mark 6 is there for a reason. They land. They didn't, Mark didn't have to write this. The Holy Spirit wanted it here. This isn't, this isn't just a verse that we just say, well, that's a nice little verse. It's the word of God. They get there. They arrive. That's good news. But through anything, through any storm, the Lord is going to bring me through it. In fact, it's not only the teaching of Mark 6, it's the teaching of Psalm 107. So why don't we go to Psalm 107? Psalm chapter 107. Psalm 107. Psalm chapter 107, 
Psalm chapter 107, verse 23. Psalm 107, verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind. He commanded it. Who, who commanded the storm? The Lord? Oh, the Lord's not in charge of the storm. Oh, yes, he is. Which lifted up the waves on the sea. They mounted up to the heaven, up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their distress, and he delivered them from, from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad. Doesn't that sound familiar? Then they were, then they were glad that the waters were quiet. And he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. He brought them through. <laughs> and when that plane lands or when that ship comes to port, when it is moored, as our text says, that means it's secured, secured perhaps by lines or an anchor. We are, we are glad. That little, that little boat brought them through. You ever think about all the different vehicles and vessels that the Lord uses in our life? And how he has used different houses, the houses we've lived in. You know, the Lord, they're just um, impersonal objects, but the Lord uses them. He shelters us. He gives us uh, sneakers to wear and boats to ride on and cars to ride in. This is all the goodness of the Lord. I remember when I was in uh, college, I believe it was my second car. It was a car I bought for 500 bucks. And um, wasn't, uh, wasn't the greatest car, that's for sure, but I took it down to Texas. And I remember going with some people, we went to Missouri and then I was going from Missouri down into Texas and the thing, I, get, I, I, I left them, I pulled into a gas station and um, locked the keys in the car. And I, I called the police. I didn't have much money, I couldn't call a locksmith. It was at night. Called the police. They said, "Oh no, we don't we don't help people anymore with keys locked in the car." I thought, okay, that's that's great. I remember literally taking some rocks, and I smashed one of my windows of my own car, and then ended up going down to Texas. I for a long time used some plastic and red duct tape as a as a window. It looked like the Red Cross. Five hundred bucks. That car's long gone. But I'm thankful for the vessel that the Lord used in my life. And I look back on, on those days and go, Lord, thank you for providing that car. 
Lord, I just look back on, on my life and I think about all the ways that you have provided from the moment I was born. Lord, how am I here? How am I here? All the different twists and turns in the journey that you have, uh, that you've led me on. And yet, Lord, you have been, you've been so faithful. You've been so faithful. And we can all say that as we know the Lord. Lord, thank you for all the different vessels that you've used. Lord, thank you for this little boat. And naturally, they had, to, uh, they had to tie it up. But isn't it interesting how the Lord has power over even just the, the, the vessels that we have, the natural things of life? I mean, he can teleport a boat, and the next morning, they're tying it up. How about when we break down in a car, saying, Lord, will you help me? Will you get this thing started? Or, or Lord, will you bring someone down my path who can, who can help me? You think the Lord cares about those things? Oh, I can assure you he does. Oh, no, no, we need more spiritual prayers in the church. We don't pray like that. Things like cars and boats. Oh, no, the Lord cares. He cares about all of the things in our life, every bit of our life, the storm and the boat and our lives. Everything the scripture tells us is in his in his mighty and his capable hands. So the Lord here, according to the text, he, he brings them through the storm. Now notice here, verse 54. And when they got out of the boat, so now they have they've moored, they have docked the boat to the shore, verse 53. Now verse 54. And when they got out of the boat, the, the people immediately recognized him. They recognized him. How, how did they recognize him? Well, they, they knew what he looked like. You, th you think about that for just a second. The, the people there, it wasn't just they recognized the disciples. But if you were to talk to people then, you could say, what, what color eyes does the Lord have? What's his beard look like? What's his hair like? What's he normally wearing? How tall is he? What kind of build is he? The, the, interestingly, the, the Bible paints uh, somewhat of a picture in the scriptures. We know he has a beard according to the Old Testament. The scriptures tells us that it was plucked out. Uh, Isaiah tells us that he was not necessarily a, a handsome man. He was just an average looking person. But the scripture here tells us that they immediately recognized him. They, they, had, uh, they had seen him before. They had studied him. They knew what he looked like. This is, this is fascinating that they, they knew what the Lord looked like. You could sit down they could say, this is his description. In fact, they were kind of concerned. Lord, how did you get here? We saw you send the, the disciples over in a boat, but we never saw... We never saw you. In fact, if you go to uh, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 25, John chapter 6, verse 25, when they found him, this is the crowd who finds him. On the other side of the sea, the lake of Sea of Galilee, 
They said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? See, see they're, they're questioning. They're thinking to themselves, oh, right, that's right. You were going to go ahead and walk across and then teleport a boat. That's not what, that's not what they were thinking. This is, a, this is amazing to them that, we're, Jesus, you were there. Now you're on, you're on the northeast side of the lake. Now, on, now you're on the northwest side of the lake. But, Lord, we, we instantly recognize you. But the Bible, the Bible doesn't ever paint an explicit picture of Christ, ever. And we maybe wonder at that. Why, why, doesn't, uh, why doesn't the Bible tell us what, what he looked like in detail? I mean, isn't that something that we would be interested in? The Lord is much more concerned than instead of simply recognizing him physically, that we recognize him with the heart. And the scripture tells us that even though we've never seen him, that we know him. And there are some people who can say, I recognize him. Oh, yeah, I remember the beard. That's him. And the Lord says, that's, that's cool. But remember, these, these people aren't coming after him because their hearts are changed. They're just like, he does all sorts of stuff for us. That's why they're coming after him. The Lord is saying, look, that's great, you recognize me, but let me tell you something about a much greater recognition. It's the recognition of the heart. It's the recognition of the mind, that when someone says, even though I've never seen Christ physically, I couldn't write down his description, I could, I could give you a cursory outline of some things about him, but I could never give you a detailed or accurate description. He says, that's okay. And isn't that something that 2,000 years later, we recognize him? You say, how did you, how did you come to Jesus? Well, he, he did something in my heart, and I know him. But yeah, but you couldn't be like these people. You, you've never physically seen him. You couldn't immediately recognize him. Oh, oh, yes, but I do recognize him. I know him instantly. And this is what the scripture actually says over and over again. Let's go and, and look at a few. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 26. John chapter 10, verse 26. Jesus says this, But uh, you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says even, even those who have never physically seen him, they've heard him. We hear his voice intervening when we least expect it. The voice of the good shepherd, Jesus says, the ear, the, the ear picks up, it perks up. I know that voice. How do you know that voice? By the Spirit's call. I know that voice anywhere. That's the voice of my maker. He's calling me back to himself. How do you know? I just know. I know because the word proclaims it and the word is true and the Spirit of God has revealed the word of God to my heart. 
my sheep hear my voice and they come. John chapter 20, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 29, John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, he's talking to Thomas, he says to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Question, you've believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. One of my favorite verses is 1 Peter 1.8. Let's go over there. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Though you haven't seen him, you couldn't immediately recognize him by his physical features. Oh, you recognize him. You know him. This is the power of the gospel. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Instant recognition. This is why Paul prays. He prays a very specific prayer. And we sing this uh, song in, in our church often. If you go over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16. And Paul's praying. This is, this is uh, listen, we're here. We're here because someone prayed these kind of prayers for us. John Wesley believed that every person who gets saved, someone must have been praying for them. Who was praying for you? And, and here's what he prays. He prays in Ephesians 1.16. He says, I do, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Here it is. I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm thanking the Lord for you. I'm, I'm lifting up your names before God the Father. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Here it is, verse 18. Having the eyes, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, you might know, you might know. Would you say that with me? You might know. You might know. Let's say it again. You might know. Not guess. That you might know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as a head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says, this is what I'm praying for you. That even though you might not immediately recognize him in one sense, like these people, the reason we don't have just this accurate, particular, specific description of Christ is so that we wouldn't just be mesmerized by what he looks like on the outside, but that we would recognize that he came as the Savior for all men and that our hearts, our hearts might see him. That's, that's what he's interested in. That's what he's after. That the eyes of our hearts would be open to him. And someday we will see him with our eyes, won't we? And with our flesh we shall see God. But blessed are you who have not seen him physically and yet believe. Let's stop there. Would you stand with me and let's sing, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the 